Chevy in the bay going crazy. Put peace on the hood, Mercedes. Young boys letting off 80. Lean next to a DR like Haiti. This ain't no corner, no Bailey. No internet clown gon' play me. Money ain't never gon' make me. I can win with a couple bucks like Brady. If she ain't baby, you cannot shame me. When they gon' pay me to shut my mouth. Ain't gotta okay me, then they gon' save me. I'm finna stay free. What is up, everyone? We are back with another episode of Shaping the Culture. And today we've got some special guests. I'm really excited about this conversation. Uh, we've got a fan, uh, we got um, uh, someone who's a fan of the show and people are fans of this person as well. Uh, this is your third time or fourth time you've been on. Uh, we've got none, third, third time, third time. There's a chart. third on the show. I did a panel with you at one point, but that wasn't for the show. Yes, you're right. That was for Parisian Church. Yes. But we've got none other than Holly. By the way, I, I know I told you this, but a lot of you guys DM me and text me and you're like, yo, when are you going to get Holly back on? When are you guys going to have another conversation? And so um, here it is. We're doing another one. And I'm glad that you guys enjoy her and you guys get a, another opportunity to hear from her wisdom and her experiences. So we got Holly with us. And uh, for the we, we got a first time guest with us who I'm also really excited about. Been following this brother on Twitter for a minute. I've learned so much from his wisdom. Um, he is someone who's bold and unapologetic, someone who shares the truth um, with grace and love, but is also unapologetic about the truth. Um, he's a specialist. He's a counselor. He's a teacher. Um, he's an expert in what he talks about as far as trauma is concerned. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm very humbled that he would come on. This is Holly's connect, by the way. So I, you know, I didn't, I didn't make this happen. This was Holly and the grace of God. Uh, we got none other than Kyle Howard with us. Welcome, Kyle. Thanks for joining hey, us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's a, it's a privilege to be here and, and absolutely it's, it, it was Holly's, uh, well, I don't even know what the term is just her fullness. I was like, hey, Kyle, what do you think about this? And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I felt like I couldn't say no. Was, there was just too much happy energy behind it. So I was like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> hey, they say favor ain't fair. And Holly got a lot of favor. <laughs> so, that's so kind. Yeah. That's so uh, kind. <laughs> no, no, this is awesome. And I'm as excited as I am about the guests. I'm equally excited about the topic at hand. Um, very controversial, but it's also something very near and dear to me. I've got a lot of friends and family members that are in interracial relationships and marriages. And so um, this, is, this, is a, this is a hot topic. This is something I navigate on a personal level often. And I know these guests that we have today on the, on the podcast have dealt with it and are dealing with it in a real personal way as well. And so just to kind of give context to how this conversation came to be, um, um, our good friend Holly here uh, made a Twitter thread um, expressing her thoughts on interracial marriage from her own perspective and experience. And she got a lot of backlash and she'll talk about it here in a second. And, you know, her and I got to meet up in person and just kind of flesh out some of these ideas and these thoughts and the heart behind things and what was really being said and how things were being taken and all of that good stuff. And we thought, you know what, what why don't we do a podcast episode on this? And so that's kind of the backstory behind all of this. And and so I hope this is beneficial. I hope this conversation serves you well. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. I know there's going to be a lot of gems drops. So bring out your pen and your notepad and get ready to take notes. Um, and so, but yeah, before we jump into it, Holly, you want to talk a little bit about that? Like what, what was your mindset there when you made that Twitter thread? What was your heart behind it? What was, what was objective? And uh, were you surprised by the pushback and all of that good stuff? Yeah. Um, actually, 
uh, Kyle comes into the conversation way earlier because it's a conversation Kyle and I have had okay. um, personally. Uh, as I sort of spoke to him about what I had gone through, I hadn't talked really publicly that much about it, but uh, Kyle, I don't know if you remember, we would talk about it. Um, and me just being like, I can't be the only one who's gone through this. And Kyle says, you're not, mm. I have this conversation a lot, but again, I'm not seeing the conversation publicly. And yeah. so a lot of what goes through my mind about an interracial interracial relationships. And I think it's important. And this is something Kyle pointed out on Twitter when we were having these conversations, um, is what type of interracial relationship we're talking about. So we're particularly right. talking about the harms that come from interracial relationships between a person of color and particularly like a black indigenous person of color, but any kind of any person of color and a white person. Now, whether that person is like whichever person in the relationship they are, the, the male or the female or um, whatever that looks like, uh, the harm that comes when it is white plus BIPOC. Um, that's that's the particular realm that I can speak to because that's my experience. That is yeah. what I talked to Kyle about and was like, I can't be the only one. He's like, you're not. And so it actually started with me running a poll. Uh, this is like, I, 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 I don't know if people realize, but I got us there slowly but surely. Like this was methodical. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am strategic, y'all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> I, I I put out a poll and I said, BIPOC, if you're in a relationship or if you're not, like, I just want to know, yeah. would you be in a relationship? Do you feel comfortable being in a relationship with a white person? Yeah. And I gave like sort of a range of answers you could give. Uh, I said, yeah, all the way to uh, probably, but I'm not entirely convinced to, I don't know, but maybe for the right one to absolutely not. Yeah. So basically that gave us like, you know, three out of four of those answers were there's some hesitation here and 80% of people fell into those categories. Mm. We only had 20% of people say, absolutely. I'm all the way in. And I went, wow. huh. And, and people might say, oh, that has to do with like the people that follow you and stuff. I actually have a wide range of people who follow me. Um, not any particular tradition. I have Christians, non-Christians, progressive, conservative, it runs the gamut, men, women, um, non-binary folks, uh, trans folks, all kinds of, so I've got quite the gamut of people who follow me. And I was just like, obviously we're bound by whoever sees the, sees the poll, but I got like 180 responses and 80% of BIPOC who answered were like hesitant on some level to all the way to know. Um, and I real, I, and then I, I reached out to Kyle again. I was like, dude, are you, we're seeing these numbers, right? And he actually was like, wow, you chose violence today. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know what was coming. <laughs> <laughs> and slowly but surely I started opening up this conversation and started saying like, I don't recommend it for most people. And it's less about person to person conversation and more about recognizing where we are as a society. From right. a sociological perspective, we seem to want deeply to believe that we're in a post-racial world. And that's simply not the case. And I'm not willing to put BIPOC bodies on the line to serve this false image of what our society is. It's simply not worth it to me. Right. In the most vulnerable and intimate of settings, marriage, that we should believe this lie about where our society is at and then live into it. Yeah. I'm sorry. BIPOC people matter to me more than that, matter to me more than this lie. And right. so, and then also I, from a very personal level, am seeking to be the person I wish I had. 
when I was going through these racist situations in my marriage. I didn't have somebody saying this stuff. I was scouring the internet, looking, and I'm a good Googler, y'all, like really good. My my housemate said, she was like, can you Google this for me? Because when you Google, you get different responses. You're really good at this. She said that to me two days ago. So like, if I couldn't find it, like I'm not, I was struggling to yeah. find anything about the, the violence that can happen. And it's, and I'm not talking about like being hit or anything, but like the, right, right. the emotional yeah. violence that can happen, the psychological violence that can happen when you're yeah. in a space where you're constantly fending off microaggressions, where you're having to engage racial topics on your own when you have a person who's supposed to be one flesh with you. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. And I was, I was looking for someone who could help me process that. And there wasn't people out there. And so I was like, okay, for the next me, because I am not naive to think enough to think that I am the last one to go through this for the next me, I want to make sure that someone is saying the things that they can find me and say, oh my gosh, is that what this is? You've put words to this experience that I didn't know I was having. And I took a lot of heat from lots, lots of people. People were like, you're coming for my marriage. No, I'm not. I said, I don't recommend it. I didn't say never to do it. You're, you're, you don't, you're, you're such a racist. No, I'm not. I'm black. That's not possible. Possible. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Um, Like, (laughs) Black men, white men, black women, white women, all kinds of people just coming for me, saying that it wasn't okay for me to be saying this stuff. And, you know, my I had one person who who said to me that their deceased partner was a black woman and or and asked me, are you saying that she went through that? And I'm like, I don't even know where to begin with answering that question. Like, I'm not going to touch it because who am I to speak on behalf of your deceased partner? But if you need to think through some of your actions during your marriage, like, I don't know what to do for you. (laughs) And and so I definitely touched a raw nerve, but I also had people be like, oh, you've given me something to think about. Yeah. Oh, I like people. I had a black man in a relation in a relationship in marriage. I think with a white woman say, "Huh, I have to look differently at my marriage right now because of this," mm-hmm. and like he's now processing. Yeah. And I have women who are like, "Yeah, my son is in an interracial marriage with a white person, and I watch him doing this." Right. And and so just watching people be like, "There is actually a conversation to be had. There is something to be said here." Right. And then the right. white folks who are like no, I'm really glad you brought this up because I need to be aware in my interracial marriage of how I'm showing up. Great. That is, that is goals. The goal being achieved, which is the safety of black and brown bodies, BIPOC bodies in these relationships, you know? So that's kind of, that's awesome. Yeah, I know. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for being vulnerable with that because um, you didn't have to share all that, but you did. And so thank you for not just sharing what you said, but how you got there. And I think it's important to note how premeditated all of this was. It wasn't off the cuff. It came with wisdom, thought, and strategy. And uh, I, I think sometimes people don't recognize that. And so um, thank you for sharing that. And, and Kyle, I wanted to ask you, I know you have a lot of experience in this, whether it's the couples that you counsel, uh, the things that you've witnessed, so on and so forth. Uh, what is your background in all of this and, and, and how did you um, find the conversation? Yeah. So, um, and you have to excuse me, I'm going to be moving back and forth. I have chronic back pain. And so if I look like I'm like, like mean mugging y'all, it's just, it's my back. It's not, it's not y'all. You're good. But, uh, but um, so uh, I am the byproduct, I am the product of um, uh, 
multi-ethnic marriage. Uh, my my paternal grandfather was white. Uh, my paternal grandmother's black. Uh, my and and then on my mom's side, I have Jamaican and Chinese. Yeah. And so um, I have I am a black man with a multi-ethnic heritage. Yeah. And um, and also I'm in a, into I am in, in a marriage with someone of a different ethnicity. My wife is from Vietnam, yeah. um, and um, largely raised in here here in America, but she is you know, Vietnamese. I, I guess for me, uh, so I, I ultimately many years ago, uh, back in 2012, I went to Southern Seminary, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, it was there that I got an associate's in biblical and, and theological studies, a bachelor's mm-hmm. in Christian counseling, and a master's with a concentration in historical theology. And so while I was there, I was also a lay leader of a church and doing uh, counseling, largely crisis marriage counseling. Uh, At least I started off that way. And then I got into other issues related to, again, abuse dynamics and um, uh, trauma care and all these other kinds of things. But uh, it was actually several years ago at this point, maybe about six years ago, that I I wrote an article based upon uh, my my marriage counseling work. And the article was titled, When the Church Colonizes Femininity. Mm. And it, and that was when I basically took the experiences that I was having within marriage counseling within a seminary context. And I'll, I'll touch on what I mean by that in a second, why that is important. Um, but what I essentially presented, in the, and it's still available on my website, collegeofhoward.com. You can still find the, web, the article. But in the article, I essentially addressed the fact that within Christian spaces, there is an expectation that is put on men of color that they would pursue a white woman and that white women were essentially the paradigm of piety. And uh, and and for a man to demonstrate the godliness and wisdom, um, it would he would demonstrate that through pursuing a white woman for marriage because that would show that he's wise in regards to his choices. And, and it wasn't just any white woman, but there's a specific kind of white woman. So some, mm. there's this dynamic where even when some white women don't meet the paradigm, it's like right. this, this white Southern antebellum woman who's soft-spoken and meek, how, how they define meek and all these different kinds of things. And so, right. you know, a boisterous uh, white woman who doesn't meet that, who's extroverted and outgoing, you know, she wouldn't meet that either. But the people that were most impacted uh, were uh, Black and Latina women, largely, because mm. of, you know, culture and, person- and certain personality traits that come from those regions of the world, they would be seen as being disrespectful, or out of pocket, or these kinds of things. And so within the church, they were often the ones that were left single, while other women who were more easily molded into that paradigm uh, may be pursued, but largely what would end up happening is the white women would be marrying uh, men of color, and then and women of color were usually on the sidelines just watching all the men go and flock towards the white women. And so mm-hmm. I, and, and so I talked about the different reasons why that happens within that's within that framework, how there is an expectation, one, that if a man uh, wants power uh, or proximity to whiteness. Uh, so he wants to be a, a pastor or wants to be an elder, uh, that one I- of the ways he demonstrates that he is safe. Uh, is by marrying a white woman. A white woman signals this person is safe because he's willing to marry into whiteness. mm -hmm. And so therefore he's safe. And we see this side note with politics today. Some of the most powerful, and I'll even say women, even black women, are married to white men, and that's not happenstance. There's a there's a symbol mm. or sig- that signifies something when a, a person of color has a white spouse. 
So long story short, I mean, we can get into we can get into the weeds in a second. I know, mm-hmm. but what ultimately what I ended up doing, so I, I brought that to the attention and the amount of, of women of color who reached out to me, like, oh my God, you are this is absolutely my experience. You, mm-hmm. What you're talking about is exactly what is what I've experienced, you know, as a single woman in the single woman of color in the church, even white women reaching out to me saying, You're right, they have this paradigm. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say, so what um, largely within my work of of counseling, specifically marriage counseling. Yeah. I largely care for um, marriages but of people between different ethnicities. Yeah. One of the things that I would say on the outset, though, and is that one of the biggest red flags for me in all of these conversations is how we even classify that. The mm. classification of interracial marriage, I think, is a horrible classification based upon what we're talking about. Because an interracial, right. it exists, don't get me wrong, I just think it's unhealthy. Yeah. An interracial marriage is a marriage mm-hmm. with people of two different races, essentially, are coming together in, you know, into a marriage. But what ends up happening within those that, that context is the the dominant cultural or racial expression within that marriage becomes the dominant force within that marriage. Right. And so those other so if a white so we think about the dominance of, of whiteness in our society and within the racial caste of our society. A white person married to a person of color, that person of color is going to naturally have to fold themselves Mm -hmm. into that other culture. And so when you have an interracial marriage, what it typically is, is it's a person of color who whose culture and and cultural identity and ethnic identity is essentially swallowed up Mm -hmm. or is conformed, is colonized. In order to and, and that white person's identity, culture, expressions, all those things ends up becoming what's dominant. Right. And so even from the outset, what I would say, even when I, when I begin interracial marriage counseling, which is typically what I begin, a kind of colorblind marriage dynamic, mm. my, one of my goals is to, for a healthy marriage, is to push towards a transcultural mm. marriage identity where both cultures are recognized as being valuable and precious right. yeah. and are being championed and treasured yeah. and expressed freely within that marital covenant rather than mm. one having to feel like they got to be swallowed up in order for mm. that marriage to thrive. Mm. Does that make sense? And so, yeah. yeah. So the way that I come into this as, as a, as a, a trauma-informed soul care provider, uh, minister, theologian, uh, someone who's been in, in, in lodging in Christian spaces, but even outside of that, mm. uh, it, I've, I've been one who has really emphasized caring for um, uh, multi-ethnic marriages or transcultural marriages and trying to help people who come from different cultures uh, come together in a way that actually glorifies God through the marriage covenant rather than is just another way of, of colonizing but doing it in a way that it has a profound emotional and psychological impact, as Holly was saying, because we're talking about a, a the most intimate relational connection being used as a mechanism for that colonization. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. goodness. My that. goodness. That was so good. Gems. Gems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's so many things I wanted to pick apart from that. I don't even know. What I, was like, yeah, I, I think I, I, think I kind of bounced on like five different rabbit shows there. I'm sorry about no, that. No, no, <laughs> it all came together. I think I was just like, I want to go down that trail. I want to go down that trail. <laughs> yeah. So there it is. I'll put that all out there. Y'all can, y'all can ask me to do what you want to do with that. No, that was so good. Yeah. I definitely, I, I really like that partic- particularly the interracial to transcultural and just yes. recognizing cultures and and deciding not to to give the social construct of race um, too oh, much yeah. power, recognizing it as the external force on us, but saying, but within this space, we are both 
people who have cultures who are shaped by right. by certain by certain traditions, by foods, by all of these things, and going, how do we make space for all of that? Yes. Um, I, I think that's really healthy, and and I say that as just a layperson who was married to a white person, and and I think the thing that came to mind for me as I'm listening to you, Kyle, is because whiteness constantly takes up space. This is a phrase I've been using a lot. People were like, what does that even mean? Whiteness is constantly taking up space. It is always pushing against us. Mm -hmm. And the force we exert against it is exhausting, but it's the only way we can continue to exist in the bodies that we're in. We have to push back against it. This is what we're doing right now in this conversation is pushing back against the idea that white is right. And so in that, when you are in an interracial relationship, and I'm going to use interracial because we're, it, we can code interracial for the unhealthy, problematic version. Can we agree on that together yeah. as a definition to make it easy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but when we, <laughs> I'm just, definitions are important. So when yeah. you're in, in, in still that space of the interracial um, and the swallowing is happening, if both partners are not pushing back against that, mm-hmm. using the same force, if not like obviously you're going to get tired and like as a black woman I got tired a lot I do work in the racial advocacy space particularly in the church and at that point in time it was white spaces I'd get tired and I would come home exhausted and the problem was that my partner was not pushing back against whiteness as hard as I was at all in fact he was okay letting whiteness take the space and so when I stopped pushing it would come back and swallow it would come back and, and take up all that ground I'd spent time pushing against, mm. right? And, and, and this is what I'm trying to say, that if we are not all committed to pushing against whiteness and saying you will not just automatically take up space, you and whiteness being the problematic nature of white supremacy, like right. if, we are, if we are not saying we are committed to pushing against this and saying this will not take up space in the name of Jesus, that Jesus has called us to better and more and beautiful, beautiful multi-ethnicity, like if we're not doing that, then this is where we get the damage. This is where we get the violence. This is where we get the harm. And it happens little by little. It yeah. erodes things. But suddenly this, 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 thing, this, this marriage that's supposed to be the uniting of two souls into one before God yeah. becomes not that. Because yeah. I do believe that the damage that happens is abusive. And I believe that that abuse breaks the covenant. And that's why I care so much. Like, it's not just because I'm like, when I talk about the safety, when I like, yes, it's about like an emotional and physical safety. But what I'm talking about is nothing less than a covenant made before the God of the heavens of the earth of, of like it is it is god almighty who we make these covenants in front of and with right if we as believers when we enter marriage we're saying this is a covenant between me and my husband and god between me and my wife and god when these covenants are broken we're breaking a covenant with god almighty and that's something to be fearful of yeah. the god who said he will never break his covenant with us we are breaking that covenant by the abuse of those he has said are his sons and daughters that's not light yeah. That's not just like, oops, I messed up. No, it's yeah. it's nothing less than a covenant broken with God Almighty. And I don't want to be in that space. Like, yeah. because of Christ, I believe that the sins that occurred against me in our marriage are covered by the blood of the Lamb. I've said this to my to my ex. We've like I've talked about how he is kept, called, and loved. And I believe that the things that happened to me, he will not bear the weight of those because Christ bore the weight of that on the cross already for him. 
but there's a point where we will make an account for all we have done in the flesh, correct? That's what the scriptures tell us. And so I am saying, white brothers and sisters, you need to care. You need to care deeply because it is no less than having to account for these actions in front of the king of kings. Yeah. I, I want to, so I wanted to ask a question. I know both of you guys just hit on this. And for those that are tuning in that are in a interracial marriage or relationship, because, you know, I pastor a church, we have quite a few of those. I know the church you go to, Holly, there's a lot of those um, situations. I've got family that tunes in that are in a interracial marriage. And relationship. I love you guys. Sorry. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> you know a couple of them, Holly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know you, so I'm just going to wind off into the sunset after I'm done with it. <laughs> yeah. They all know, they know me. Like the family he's talking about, at least some of them, they know me personally. We're friends. And I'm like, I swear I love you guys. I just want y'all to be safe. <laughs> yeah, no. And that's what I want to do. Like when you, when, when, when we talk about not having one culture be dominant and swallow up another, let's like, because sometimes when you hear you know, like, oh, I don't, you know, want to experience racism in my marriage. I'm not a colonizer, right? It's, it's sometimes like these words are so big and it could be so negative that we don't, we lose the meaning of what we're trying to communicate. And so yeah. can you just like, just for clarity's sake, like, what do we mean when we say that there, there, there is, there, there, um, we can fall uh, victim to colonization when it, we're in an interracial relationship or marriage, or uh, when we say uh, white isn't right, what do we mean by that? Are we saying that the white culture altogether is bad and we shouldn't have, because like, again, to Kyle's point, we're trying to come together and have space for both, but that hasn't been the case. And so um, can we talk a little bit about what we're saying and, and put meaning behind some of these oh, yeah. words? Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's do, let's do that. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> so let me, so let me say this, uh, uh, this is going to require some nuance, uh, yeah. but, uh, let me, I'll, I'll build up from this. Okay. Yeah, so in cool. one sense, I am saying that white culture is bad, but it's important to understand what white is and what that term means, because yes. I'm not talking about people who identify or all identified in as white within our racialized society. Right. Those people have a culture beyond whiteness. Whiteness is the, the, is this overarching force mm. of racial superiority mm. and, and racial prioritization mm. that is used to uh, oppress and silence some groups within a racial caste and elevate and promote others. And so a white person from Texas has two opposing cultures that are at work at the same time. That Texan culture that comes with whatever Texan culture comes with, I don't know, but yeah, yeah. it's something there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, the whiteness that permeates within uh, white Texan um, among white Texans, yes. you know, that propels uh, certain policies and certain postures towards ethnic minorities and certain ways of moving about society that yeah. uh, that is intimidating and uh, and yeah and all those kinds of things. Yes. And so one of those things I would say is bad. The other one of those things can be actually champion and say, hey, this is a cultural expression based upon the region of the war that I'm in, based right, upon right. various heritages. And so uh, there's a difference between a white person and a culture that they have based upon their upbringing and everything else versus yeah. white culture, which yeah. is this, this dark cloud that ha hover, has hovered over the West uh, for centuries upon centuries, uh, raining down enslavement and Jim Crow and mm -hmm. police brutality and all these other kinds of things. 
So with all that being said, let me let me let me move on real quick to talking about these categories as it relates to say marriage, yes. because the, the Bible says that marriage is supposed to be a reflection of Christ in the church. Yes. And when we look at Revelation seven, nine, one of the things that we see there is that all the nations, all the people groups, all the ethnicities of the world are together in unity, despite the diversity, worshiping the, the king of kings. Yes. And that is actually one of the greatest examples of the redemptive work of Christ, that the device, the, 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 the chasm that exists between all the peoples of the earth because of sin is reconciled on the last day. And so now there is the perfect display of unity, even in the midst of diversity, because mm -hmm. of the power of the redemptive plan of God. Amen. So that is the, the, the pinnacle of the church in all its glory is that unity. Yes. With that being said, a transcultural marriage can be an amazing and awesome display of the glory of God. Yes. Uh, because in that, it can demonstrate a transcultural marriage. Um, and again, I, I'm using that language rather than the inter. I'm going to come to the interracial. A transcultural marriage dem can demonstrate unity in the midst of diversity. Here are two diverse people with diverse backgrounds and diverse cultures who are coming together in unity yes. and displaying to the watching world the, the light of Christ in that despite their differences, they are unified in the beauty of and the glory of what their ethnic di distinctions represent. Right. Does that make sense? Right. Interracial marriage comes and says, one of these things has to go. Something has to be dominant here. Yeah. And we're talking about, oh, as, what you're, as what you're saying, Holly, is how the way that whiteness is always pressing against, is always pressing. When it comes to an interracial marriage between a white and person of color, there is very much and often a dynamic where the, the white aspect, the whiteness, mm -hmm. again, whiteness, I'm using it as a social construct, I'm talking about individual people right. the whiteness dynamic if that's not deconstructed is constantly going to be pressing back again uh, pressing against that person of color who is trying to thrive and flourish in a racialized society yeah. with that being said here's the thing when you have two people of color so you have an you have an interracial marriage or a transcultural marriage which oh let me let me say it this way it is easier for an interracial couple between ethnic minorities to be a transcultural marriage mm -hmm. Because those two ethnic minorities are both out in the wood pressing against right. the impact of whiteness. And right. so when they're coming together, there isn't often a, a dynamic of I want you I want you to be overcome with my culture. I want my right. culture to represent this household. They're in a space now where there is no pressing against. They can just be. Yeah. And so in those kinds of cultures. Again, like in my family, we can have chicken and waffles for breakfast and pho for lunch because it's not like this. <laughs> there isn't this, no, we're only going to have chicken and waffles or no, we're only going to have pho. It's not. Right. I don't know if you've seen pictures of my daughter. My daughter wears traditional Vietnamese dresses, even though she's black and Asian. And yeah, yeah some people look at her when she would go out as a family and they kind of side eye her because here's this woman who's black and, and, and Asian, but she's wearing an Asian, Asian dress that comes straight out of Vietnam. She yeah. likes that culture. Nice. So- you know, I would personally love it if she wore some Tim's, but <laughs> <laughs> at the same time as like, hey, she, my daughter likes that, you know, those, those odd eyes, what they call dresses. Yes. Wear that. You love that. Cause there, there's a wedding of the cultures and a yeah. championing of the cultures. Yes. But when you have that black, when you have that white and other, mm -hmm. what you end up having is this dynamic where you have one culture that is marginalized in the world. And then they come home 
and home is supposed to be a refuge. But yeah. as they come home, they have this space that is just a a continuation of what they have in society, where every waking moment of their life, they're having to press against mm. this the, the expectations of whiteness. This this right. full, uh, live under the white gaze. Uh, live under. Now, let me say this as a quick side note. Here is that. Yeah. And what I often find, and it just breaks my heart in a million pieces, is the fact that, and so, so when I, we talk about colonization, what we're talking about there is this propensity of whiteness to see itself as being supreme and yeah. being the measuring rod, the parameter in which all other things should be tested and measured by. Yeah, and yeah, so when so when whiteness is in a space, when when colonization is happening, it is happening when uh, whiteness is saying this person's best or their flourishing is contingent upon how much they are under me. You know, I am I am the best thing for them. Submitting to my right. priorities, my ambitions, my desires, my supremacy yes. is what's best to them for them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and what yeah. happens in a marriage, which is just utterly breaks my heart, yeah. is when spouses are living in this state, and it's um, to be frank, it's in this dynamic that I'm speaking of. It's largely women of color living with the married to a white man, or in this space where their entire life outside they're having the code switch, but then inside the home in their most intimate relationship, mm. they are having to. Uh, submit to a dynamic of colonization where their spouse, they're, they're living under the white gaze, mm. but this the white gaze of their lover, of their mm. covenant partner. It, they're, 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 their covenant partner is enforcing onto them the only way that the best way for you to flourish and for you to abound is to reject who you are culturally mm, and ethnically mm, and come under mm -hmm. the umbrella of my whiteness and my expectations, my demands, my perspectives and everything else. And when you're there, you're, you're, that's where you're going to flourish yes. or and a bit capital letters or the other side of that, which is the indifference of whiteness, which is my entire life. I am outside of these four walls. I am having to press against the, the the desire of whiteness to color to to look at me with color blindness to erase my color to strip me of my culture. I'm having to constantly fight against my own sense of self worth and yeah. dignity and value and all those things. Yeah. And when I come home and I've been fighting that battle every day, the person who is supposed to be my partner throughout life doesn't give a damn. They don't care. Mm. It's in debt. They it's so it's not even it doesn't even have to be in active antagonism of like, mm. you need to submit. It can be the when I come home, the person who I've covenanted to spend my life with, I want mm. them to be walking with me because they're supposed to be partners. So they yeah. should be walking with me through yeah. this trial, this profound trial I have living in a racialized society, this mm. kingdom of darkness, which includes racial supremacy. They should be walking with me, holding my hand. Mm. But they're like running ahead and like, when are you going to catch up without any regard for the weights that are that are right. that I'm carrying on my shoulders, on right. my arms, my legs or anything right. else? They're just like, hurry up, run faster, mm. stop complaining, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's, it's both of those things. It's yeah. not just the active antagonism or expectation that a, a, a spouse of color will submit under the white culture. It's the other aspect of it, which is the indifference 
to the struggle. Yeah. And because it doesn't directly impact them. Yeah. Which communicates that there is a chasm between yeah. uh, with going that one flesh dynamic. Because if mm-hmm. I'm your spouse mm-hmm. and if we're supposed to be one flesh, yeah. and this is the burden that I'm having to carry living in this kingdom of darkness, surrounded by racial antagonism and, and racial oppression, how can it not affect you? Right. Unless I mean, I'm going to be blunt here. The only dynamic in which you see us as one flesh is when you're using my body mm, for your wow. sexual gratification. Wow. So the only sense in which we are one wow. flesh is when I'm giving you sex, not when I am suffering under the await in a question wow. of white supremacy. Yeah. That then it's like, no, we're separate flesh at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Then we not only have colonization, mm-hmm. we have objectification. Wow. And we have sexual exploitation wow. and we have exoticism playing roles, which are a couple other can of worms, <laughs> you know, to open up there. My but does that, does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? A thousand percent. A thousand percent. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. And I would, what did and you say? I, Holly, I, I, didn't say hear I Oh, I said we have a series. <laughs> <laughs> it's not um, an episode. This is a series. This is not an episode. Series. This is a series. This is a backdoor pilot, y'all. This is a um, pilot. <laughs> Um, but no, and I would agree with that, that indifference. And I think we, we don't ever really give way to what indifference does. Mm. So let me tell you, (laughs) it erodes, it erodes your sense of self Mm. because you're like, if this person who is supposed to be one flesh with me, can't even see my whole person. How can I expect anybody else to? Right, right, right. How can I be pushing against the kingdom of darkness as Kyle called it? out there when in here I'm not even seen for my full self when I've been pushing against the kingdom of darkness all day and I come home and I just want to stop pushing Mm. and the person next to me doesn't even see me and further than that that indifference doesn't that indifference gets in the way of them recognizing I need to be built back up Mm. because push it's not just that I'm pushing it's that man my arms are tired I have taken hits all day I have had to keep this face of happy and joy because in the face of whiteness what else am I supposed to do Mm. I can't be seen as weak Mm. I can't be seen as giving in but in my home my sanctuary my safe space how am I supposed to put myself back together to go fight tomorrow right yeah yeah how am I supposed to go and do the thing that God has called me to do when I don't have someone here going, Holly, God has called you to this. Mm. He is doing the work. You are not fighting alone. I am with you. I see you. Instead, you're coming home and you're like, did you see that someone who looks like me or looks like my brother, looks like my cousin was shot again? Mm. And you're starting that conversation at home. When your elders say horrible things about you, all they go is like, yeah, I'm sad about that. Mm. Instead of this righteous anger, because again, they have not truly united themselves to you. Right. They've said you right. and your experience are over there. Yeah. I am over here and I will engage that way <laughs> or I won't engage at all. Yeah. Or you shouldn't even be engaging. Why do you care? You're a Christian. That's your identity. And it's yeah. like, oh, okay, we're not one. Mm. And again, this is where I come back to. It's covenant breaking. Right. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've literally been in counseling situations where I'm counseling someone and I am hearing the profound disconnect between a white spouse 
um, and a person of and a, and a spouse of color. Again, in a lot of these situations, it's a woman of color married to a white man. Um, there's all other categories for the the reverse of that, which we I can touch on in a second. But uh, seeing a white seeing a woman of color uh, trying and pleading with their white spouse to understand and empathize, you know, with um, what they are struggling through or suffering through. And one of my thoughts, honestly, then is as I'm, as I witnessed that and holding back tears myself of seeing someone struggle is like, I'm just a counselor. I'm not the spouse of this person who, if, if, if I, if the connect that I have as a counselor with this person, this human being who is struggling is of the, of a nature where I'm having to hold back tears. How much more you who share intimacy with this person should be bawling alongside them should. And so one of the things I would even say, Holly, is that to me, it's not just simply for a white spouse to be like, I hear what you're going through. I see your pain and this and the other it's, they should be going through it too. Mm. Where are their tears? Where is their where is their suffering? Where is their struggle? Because at the end of the, because they're all realities. I can think of a multitude of realities. To, it's, for a quick say, if I was talking to a white man, I would say this: I can think of a multitude of realities that if your wife was experiencing them, you would have tears. Okay, based upon my life experiences, I can think of a multitude of those things, everything from sexual assault, everything to, you know, experiences of you know, just this throughout throughout this multitude of experience. So you can't tell me that the disconnect is of such a degree that you don't have any feelings for what your wife is going through. It's just that whatever burden that she's carrying as it relates to racial issues, there is often a complete and utter disconnect with I'm not going to be one flesh there, right. you know? And so what, what I would say is that, that when it comes to this thing, so it doesn't mean it doesn't, it can't happen. And that that's another thing that I want to, I want to kind of say, I am not saying that a white person mm-hmm. married to a person of color cannot display a glorious transcultural marriage. What I am saying is that the vast majority operate and have an expectation that when they are marrying a person of color, that they are marrying, that the marriage dynamic is not going to be a transcultural one, but it's going to be a colorblind one. Mm-hmm. It's going to be one where everything else can come into that home except for that spouse's cultural and ethnic identity. Mm-hmm. She got to leave her blackness at the door mm-hmm. or he has to leave his blackness at the door. So, again, we haven't touched on that. But one of the other dynamics that I've often seen and I see this. I see this regularly, as I mentioned before, when it comes to like the seminary dynamic yeah. is it's it, oh, my gosh, I know I'm going to be throwing a grenade here, but it makes my <laughs> so stomach because it's not me. <laughs> it makes my <laughs> you're here for the drama Uh, it makes my stomach hurt when I see black men self-deprecate themselves Mm. crap on their culture and ethnic identity the spit on their own uh, black hair essentially spit on their ancestors and the struggles of their ancestors Mm. and their white wives sit back Mm. feet up hand behind the head, just chilling, like, yeah, let them have it, baby. Mm. That other side of colonization mm. uh, and exoticism of when white women 
um, sit back and actually enjoy a delight in the of in their black husbands tearing down blackness. Mm. They delight in that in their black husbands being anti-black in order to have them. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I've talked about that. That you, I do believe that there can be white women who would not tolerate their husbands doing that. They'd be on the front lines of hell nah if it was their husband espousing anti-blackness. Yeah. I know white women who are more who are more pro-black than their black spouses because, again, <laughs> oftentimes it's like, okay, I'm going to uh, – okay, I'll put that on side. I'll go there in a second. But <laughs> there is this dynamic where many times I see black men and other men of color will marry into whiteness because of self-hatred. Mm-hmm. And as a, so as a counselor, that's one of the things I have to deal with. Mm-hmm. What I, one of the things I have to deal with, even based upon like that article that I mentioned before talking yeah. about when the church colonizes femininity is mm-hmm. what do you do when a, when two, when two, when a couple comes to the realization that the reason that they got married is because of the indoctrinization that both of them received in regards to why they should marry the other yeah. black man has been told you need to marry a white woman, not yeah. for love primarily. Yeah. But yeah. because that is going to be what determines that you're safe. And the white woman has been told to marry the black man because that was missional. And mm. that was a demonstration, not mm. primarily of love, but a demonstration of actual humility that they would be willing to marry in a person who's black or brown. And, and so they and so when 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 a couple who does love each other comes to the recognition that the reasons why they got married is because of these things, this right. going this is going back to what you were saying, Holly. I speak on that because it's not because that is devastating. It's devastating to the white woman. It's devastating to the black or brown man. And it's devastating to the witness of the kingdom of uh, of the mm. kingdom of God in the church, which is supposed to be displaying unity mm. and diversity, because they were they were indoctrinated into these profoundly toxic things that they now have to work through of getting past that to the love dynamic that they have between each other and whether or not that's strong enough to to overcome the motivations that led them into that marriage. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And yeah. so th- there is that on the other side of things as well of the fact of how often even black even black and brown men yeah. will marry white women because they of their desire for power yeah. or because they want to be perceived as safe or they want to be seen as valuable. So they, their own insecurities, they can't find value in, in the affirmation and support of black women. And yeah. so they look for it within white women and I speak out against that not only be not, not as not an, even in a posture of like being anti-white in the sense of white, but in this posture of like, yo, I believe that women who I who are I classified as white who are made in the image of God are worth more than that. Mm. So it's not so it's not just this goes on both sides for me. It's like yeah. when I look at a mirror, it's like no. Yeah. A white woman deserves to be loved and treasured as an right. image bearer and as a person holistically for who she is, not as a, wow. a gateway for wow. power for wow. a man of color. Wow. Yeah. That's so good. Like, yeah. Likewise, a woman should be able to be affirmed and valued and dignified and loved and treasured comprehensively because who she is, not because of simply wow. because her melanin is seen as sexy by a white man because of exoticism mm. or because of the, yeah. the texture of her hair is something that's seen that he wants to explore because of his exoticism. Yeah. And so exoticism on both sides of that spectrum, mm. 
Uh, and again, exoticism is simply the um, the sexualization of of ethnic features rather than actually the actual person who in, in, who in, in embodies that identity. So those things impact both people. These, yeah. these uh, marriages based based upon what we're talking about is not just bad for people of color. Right. right, um, right. It's also bad for white people because um, it is them settling for a dynamic that is and I'm, I'm talking about the other side i'm not talking about the side of the say the toxic man or the woman who's trying to use a man you know a black man at for in the uh, for the anti-black i'm talking about for those in these situations where they're either being on both sides of the spectrum there's a using that's happening yeah it is des- just as detrimental to sincere white people as mm. it is to sincere people of color mm. and go ahead yeah, I just want it. So no, th- yeah. this this reminds me of the conversation Holly and I had the day we met up after um, she made the Twitter thread. And, you know, I think people missed there's like this one word in her in her thread that she said that I think people like totally dismissed. And she said, I would not recommend it wasn't that she was against it. She wouldn't recommend it. And what we began to talk about in our conversation is the reason why, you know, I would say myself too, we wouldn't recommend it is because we haven't done the internal work that needs to be done before hopping into a interracial marriage or a transcultural marriage or what have you. And so I guess my question would be for both the, the, the person of color and the white man or woman, um, what does that work look like before, you know, like, because I think you've, you've made it clear that this could be a beautiful thing. It could demonstrate the glory of God, the kingdom of God, but it has to be done right. It has to be done in a way that honors both parties, both cultures. But I think sometimes we get into relationships or marriages without having first assessed why we're attracted to what we're attracted to. You know, we've all been socialized to find certain you know, people groups attractive more than others. Or we're just, you know, Holly and I were talking about like, Ask the question, why do you like this feature? Why are you attracted to this person? Why are you, right? And I don't think we really ask ourselves those questions. And I think that's a great starting point. But what would both Holly and Kyle, what would you guys say? And this is a very big question and I don't think we can answer it in a few minutes, but what is some of that work that people can do to prevent themselves from finding themselves in situations where they're hurting their partner and jeopardizing their witness? Can I take us back a step? I want to first touch on something that Kyle said. He, before we talked about like the, on both sides, the exoticism, Mm -hmm. you mentioned uh, black men who are crapping on their, on their blackness. um, And then their white wives sitting back and, and like just watching it happen. This image flashed to me of Emmett Till. And I think historically we need to recognize it's not the same situation, but historically we have seen black men um, being destroyed by relationships with white women for various reasons. And it's gone from this external, just this external force that's ruined, that is like harming black men, like we saw with them until, and now um, we've come to a point where there's this self-mutilation. And that breaks my heart. Like, and maybe I'm drawing too far of a line historically, but I can just see this like through line, this thread that's being drawn. And I'm just like, 
God has called us to more than this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us mm-hmm. free. Yeah. And so let's live in that freedom, all of us. Yeah. And, and that means honoring white women, white men for the image bearers that they are and saying there's more than this, than the problematic natures of whiteness. There is beautiful culture within you. And we want to draw that out and, and make that the thing that shines in this marriage. And we honor we honor your Mennonite heritage and we honor my Ethiopian heritage. Those were the two heritages we had in my marriage. And there were ways that we we tried to do that, but whiteness still took hold and mm. did too did too much, entirely too much. And, and so so that's something I just like want us to recognize that we're not just living with, and, and I think Kyle pointed to this, that we're not just living within this random phenomenon that's happening, but that this is historical. This is something we have seen over and over and over again. And what I want us to be is cycle breakers. I want us to Mm. be like generational cycle breakers and say that we're not taking on this generational trauma anymore. We're not passing it down to our kids. We're not doing that anymore. And then I think that leads to this inner work. And so my, what I would say is it is so important to recognize not just your personal history, but like the history of the people group you're coming from. So for me, the things that I have had to reckon with is being a black woman, being a black woman, being a singular black woman who grew up in a predominantly white space, uh, a black woman who grew up um, in a single parent household, who grew up uh, the child of immigrants, uh, who, who lived in a different culture at home than she did outside the outside the house, uh, who grew up in a predominantly white church, all of those pieces of my personal history are gonna feed into the person that I am today. And then what are the, what's the greater history of white evangelicalism? Growing up as a, white, a black woman in a white space that was white evangelical, what did that do? And what are the things that white evangelicalism told me I needed to be in and I needed to strive towards? And so for me, one of the quick things that I point to is that I, growing up, saw the white worship leader dude as the attractive archetype uh do the dude the white dude who had a guitar singing with his v with his white v-neck and his <laughs> and his rainbow sandals that was that was the kid in youth group who you were supposed to look up that was that was the heartthrob in, in a youth group you know as a youth group kid and and at 19 having to deconstruct that and go why is it i don't see people who look like me as attractive and then we go for me to the single parent piece i didn't have Mm. my black father in the house Mm. I didn't have my black father showing me um what black manhood looks like and that's another piece what does that do to me and my understanding of what a black man is I had a really good black man in my uncle and he helped raise me and so that did actually really help me in going oh but black men oh the black men in my family are sweethearts they love the women in their lives so much. I have watched my uncle sacrifice over and over for me, for his kids, for his wife, for my mom, his sister, you know? And so I did have an image of that, but I didn't have it in my home all the time. And so it's doing those pieces, like really right. just being yeah. willing to do that inner work of yeah. who am I and how did I get right, here? Right. Because then I can start to see, oh, I was told that one, that because I was surrounded by whiteness and white people, that this is the body type that is the most attractive. This is what I'm supposed to look for. Yeah. This is this is the ideal of 
physical beauty. And then this is the ideal of how you live out a relationship with God. This is what that looks like. It looks like leading worship. It looks like, like, you know, having a home in the suburbs with 2.4 kids. <laughs> no, no, no problems to you who do that. I'm literally sitting in the suburbs right now, but like yeah. none of those things fit with the person God made me. That's not actually who yeah. I am. I would, I'm not the homemaker wife. <laughs> I, I'm a youth pastor. I thought, I thought that for the longest time, I thought I was supposed to aspire to be a youth pastor's wife. That's literally, that was always what I said I was going to be. And somehow here I am at 30 years old, the youth pastor, you know, like. No, she just made me feel old. I'm sorry, you? go ahead. <laughs> You're not that much older than me. Stop. And Evan, I'm the youngest on this podcast. So I'm just saying. Barely. Barely. Hold up. You're still older than me. We're only the same age for like another few days. Okay, so, so now I'm curious. I'm sorry. I know this is a rabbit show, but how old do y'all think I am? Well, I aren't you 35? I'm actually turning 38 in a couple of months. No, really? Oh, I am, but I'm black. So, you know, the whole crack. You know, <laughs> you're, you're black and Asian. Exactly. Yeah. So I got a double, I got a double portion. Of... Double dose. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. It, okay. I'm... Back to the point, but I just, I just needed to get gas for a quick second. <laughs> no, I, I, I thought. The hairline's okay, back strong, day, brother. <laughs> like back in the day, I saw that you were, that you were, you'd published something and said, I'm 34 or whatever. And I didn't realize I'd been following you that long. I've been here a minute. Okay. Yeah, you have to have been. Mm. Dang. Yeah. Um, but oh gosh, I have ADHD. Oh crap, I threw you off. So I'm hard. sorry. I'm sorry. Both <laughs> of us. You have ADHD, don't you? I do. <laughs> yeah, this is terrible. <laughs> you were saying how God hasn't made you that way. There's nothing wrong. Right. God with, hasn't yeah. made me that way. And yeah. and and God has not made me to be uh the archetypical white wife. I I'm just not her. I am loud and gregarious. And for the record, I'm also not an archetypical Ethiopian wife. And that's a whole other thing. A whole other conversation. <laughs> but I'm, I'm loud. I'm gregarious. I have things to say. I have been given words that the Lord has asked me to speak. And so I got to do it and I got to live into that call. And so I had to do and still have to do a lot of deconstructing of all the things I was told I was supposed to be. And I think that's the first step. It's not even looking out there at your partner and what they're doing. It's like, who, who have I told myself? What have I been, what have I been told about who I need to be and who have I told myself I need to be? What are the lies I'm believing? And sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Absolutely. And so I think it's getting in spaces where people can speak into that. It's getting in more diverse spaces. It's saying yeah. like, I have intentionally, like I'm intentionally living in, in a predominantly black community in a black led black centered multi-ethnic church. It's been incredible. And they have helped build me back up after a, a long time of being abused and just spoken life into me. Holly, this is who you are you're not, you're not forgettable. Like you thought you're, you're, that's not who you are. You're not, you have things to say. We believe you because you said it, you have the experience to speak on like things that I didn't believe because those things had been eroded in white spaces. And so who you surround yourself with is important, who you're letting speak into you, but then also recognizing who you had surrounded yourself with and who did speak into you before. I'm going to stop now. That's good. That's good. Do you want to so add? I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, so I'll put a, I'll put some cards on the table and then I'll expand a little bit and say that. So for me, growing up, uh, it was I've 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 dated women of a multitude of different ethnicities, 
dating a white woman was never on the table for me. It was never something that I consider, it considered uh, because I did grow up as a black man with the, the warning stories of Emmett Till's and understanding the history of, of you know, the fact that, again, that black men uh, during the antebellum era was sex slaves to white women just as much as white uh, black women were sex slaves to white men. It wasn't just a white male dominating white uh, women bodies. There were white women dominating black bodies. Yeah. And so, you know, even when I've done counseling and I've talked to, you know, women and I've, I've had them say, you know, that they could not see themselves dating a white person because it would be really hard to get past the exotic, you know, the concerns of exoticism uh, that are often there. And for me, it was, one, understanding that history, understanding the warning signs where if I was to go on a date with a white woman, it would I would be freaking paranoid throughout that whole meeting of, you know, again, all the stories that I was told of warnings of how white women, uh, you know, the Central Park Five to the, the you know, mm. so, I, so I grew up with all these different stories of like, of more or less keeping it 100, more being afraid of white women than right. the, the, any kind of desire to pursue any kind of relationship. Um, now, with that being said, when it came to when it comes to counseling um, the, and marriage counseling specifically, um, I've been doing marriage counseling for almost a decade now and interracial and specializing in interracial marriage for around that same amount of time, uh, including uh, pre-marriage counseling and all those kinds of things. Yeah. And so in those situations, I've never been like. Um, I, I, I would never I have never I don't think I've ever told anyone that I would not recommend. Um, interracial marriage or something of that nature. Uh, what I what I do say and what I have done is working through things to help people see the potentialities of why that may not be a wise decision, you know, to make make based upon where they are. That that has happened. And, and so what I would say is that the process of interracial marriage counseling um, is one, helping people to go from interracial to a transcultural, laying that expectation to the same degree, y'all need to have conversations about how many kids you have or whether you want to have kids. Y'all should be asking questions about, do you want a transcultural marriage? Right. This is what that looks like versus an interracial marriage. Mm. Uh, person of color, are you okay with your culture and heritage and ethnic identity folding into your white spouses? Or is it important to you um, to be distinct and have distinction regarding uh, your ethnic and cultural background, not only as you personally, but also when it comes to raising children. Right, you know, right. if you do want right. to have children, what does that look like? Or what does it look like culturally? Uh, white spouse, are you okay with these cultural dynamics? Well, how do you feel about educating children regarding racism? Mm -hmm. Do you have a problem if your brown, black or brown spouse wants to teach your children about racism and whites? You, you're going to get so th those are a lot of questions that people don't even think about, yeah. you know, when it comes to marriage, because they're, you know, they're in love and they, you know, they're in that typically in that, even maybe in that fatuation stage, but I would like, these are questions you need to have because right. when y'all get married, mm. if it, this is going to be massive, massive tension spots. Now, here, let me be very clear on this. What I would say is that interracial marriage, and again, we're talking about PO, uh, BIPOC to white, there is a kind of person of color, ethnic minority, where those that kind of marriage has no qualms or no issues. And that's going to be assimilated minorities. I don't I'm not saying that with shade. I'm not right, I'm not right. trying to like throw shade at that. But I am saying that they're all ethnic minorities who are perfectly comfortable yeah. um, 
being in white spaces, uh, in many ways, not having to be culturally expressive. Maybe they don't have much background regarding their own cultural heritage and ancestry. And so they are completely at home and completely fine yeah. uh, being in white space, white dominated spaces, including their home life. And they and they don't need to be pronounced. They are they're okay with being having a, a colorblind marriage. They're okay with their children um, not being um, um, taught issues regarding race. Yes, I think that that's going to lead to a lot of problems for those kids. I, I've seen that happen numerous times. The struggles and psychological damage that it does with trying to raise colorblind children in a racialized society. Most parents think they can do that. A lot of parents think they can do that, but. It does lead to deep and profound uh, psychological and uh, struggles regarding identity and all those kinds of things. Yeah. But an interracial marriage, for more or less, can work with people like that right. who who are okay being assimilated. But if someone does value their ethnic mm. heritage, their ethnic mm. identity, their ethnic distinction, they are in love with a white person, uh, but they aren't in love with whiteness, mm. and so they want to be distinct. They want to be uh, combative in a sense towards white supremacy. They want to challenge that and they want to press against that and, and those kinds of things. Then there is a myriad of conversations that have to happen before marriage regarding yeah. what expectations are. Yeah. And I think within those conversations, a lot of expectations will come out. A lot of white spouses will have to reconcile whether or not what they are wanting from their uh, uh, minority spouse is conformity or do they want to, are they going to treasure and champion the ethnic and cultural distinctions? Right. And if they're going to champion the ethnic and cultural distinctions, it can't be a cheerleader type championing. It has right. to be you on the field as well, that you're right. willing to walk with them through these things and through whatever cost that may they may endure and all those kinds of things mm. and so in my own in my own practice when i'm working with people what i'm doing is i'm i'm wanting them to help them to establish and build a transcultural foundation for their marriage yeah. where um uh cultures are recognized um if a white person doesn't even under recognize that they even have a culture which is often common that white people because of white normativity they don't even realize yeah. that they have a culture they just yeah. And so helping them deconstruct between right. whiteness versus yeah. their culture, right. helping them, uh, helping them to embrace whatever cultural, whether again, where they're from, where they, where their ancestry hails, where in regionally are they from and what are the foods and clothing and music and stuff, you know, all those kinds of things that make up their background. Yeah. What I would say is we got to do a deep dive into those things yeah. Before I would before I would say, hey, I can recommend y'all towards marriage right now yeah. uh, that I think that y'all ready to move from pre-marriage counseling to marriage and then potentially marriage counseling. Mm. Um, but I and I but I think those conversations rarely ever happen. Uh, people mm. get married off hope uh, kind of the way that I, when I went when I joined uh, seminary, when I joined seminary, I joined seminary, even though people warned me like, hey, you shouldn't do that. I'm telling you, they ain't going to like you up there. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, these people are reformed. They hold my same theological assumptions. They, they believe in the Imago Dei. No, nah, they going to love black people. <laughs> and so and so I went to seminary and yeah. I was shocked that yeah. there wasn't a connect, you know, yeah. between their theology and how they actually felt about black and brown people. Right. And so 
but I was already fully committed in, in a similar way. They can be, we can make assumptions that, Hey, no, this person loves me. And if they love me, that means that they love all of me and that they're going to be my ride or die. And they're going to be this and the other. And so right. we make decisions based upon assumptions grounded in love mm-hmm. without recognizing that marriage requires more than love. It does genuinely require covenantal commitment and that covenantal commitment means principally, let me just, I'll I'll say this and wrap it up with this. Principally, the church job, the church's mission on earth is to spread the light of Christ to the ends of the earth. And so wherever darkness reigns, the church's mission is to go forth with its light as far as the curse is found. And it does that not through just yes. simply preaching, but yes. through anybody, whether it be a teacher, a janitor, uh, whatever they are, as they do their work with integrity yes. and credibility and with love and everything else, they are pressing against the kingdom of darkness. Yes. Amen. Likewise, marriage, mm. which is supposed to be a reflection or a mirror of Christ in the church, its foundational Christian mission is to be is a a two people who have covenanted together to be partnered in the endeavor of spreading their light to the ends of the earth as far as they can Mm. as a couple. And so as they, whether it's PTA meetings, whether it's going out on a date, when a a married couple in Christ love one another, that love is supposed to be overflowing into the dark world, producing light and pressing back against the kingdom of darkness, which then means that in this present dark age, mm, where please. racism and racial caste abound, where racial mm. oppression has silenced and persecuted the church, yeah. where white supremacy has reigned and even maligned the name of Christ mm. through mm. erecting burning crosses on black people's lawns and burning and bombing black churches and shooting up black study bike groups and oppressing and colonizing indigenous people out of their communities and stealing their land. And I mean, the list just goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. The Christian married couple should be partnered together mm. and mm putting forth their light against that kingdom of darkness. Glory. On a foundational level, when it comes to marriage counseling, when it comes to what should we do on a foundational level, foundational, it should be, we are not, I'm not just simply accepting my black or brown or person of color's wife or, or husband and their mission of spreading light of racial justice and equality to the ends of the earth. No, I am holding their hand and going in the trenches with them as their covenant partner in mutual flesh Mm. and pressing against the kingdom of darkness. And so if a spouse cannot commit, not just to simply be okay with their spouse pursuing that ambition (laughs) as if it's some kind of side hustle or hobby, if they're not willing to be like, I'm in this with you, that I am covenanted to be partnered with you in the advancement of the kingdom of God on earth through challenging racial oppression and injustice and inequality and all these things, then y'all, y'all shouldn't get married. And I wouldn't recommend that (laughs) interracial marriages uh, should happen. But if y'all committed to that and y'all are down for that, then do the work yeah and 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 that's a different conversation then we're talking about transcultural marriages and how transcultural marriages reflect the kingdom of god and how to go about doing but that's a completely different question than do i recommend a person of color and a white person get married uh based upon the sheer force and power 
of mm. Greco-Roman love or soulmate ideology, <laughs> I'd be like, no. But on a covenantal framework, where we're yeah. talking about those foundations, wow. that's a different story. My goodness. Uh, does that make sense? Does that make sense? Oh, my God. My Lord. Yeah. Wow. We went you, to church. <laughs> yeah. I was like, did you not hear me? I was. Where, where I was can I sow a seed into your ministry? That's what I <laughs> I, he has options. <laughs> the red bull kicked real, in them. <laughs> it really, after you choked on it, it got into your lungs. Um, so I think, okay, y'all, I just moment, quick moment of shade. I don't know if y'all heard him, but he said, y'all are in love or infatuated. And he said, some people get married while still infatuated. I just, yeah, that was just a little moment right. I needed. Yeah. I just needed I just needed us to tease out a I little bit. I would say the vast majority of people get married in this infatuation stage rather than the actual genuine love stage. Yeah, yeah. Marriage, healthy marriage counseling is supposed to, in some mm. sense, be a pause, a timeout. It's supposed to be a, I am so happy that y'all are into each other, but before y'all make a <laughs> covenantal agreement that lasts for a lifetime of being one another's partner, Let's take a pause from the infatuation and let's look at what real love is. Mm. And mm. then after we take an assessment of what real love is, ask whether or not you have that for each other and whether or not you're committed to cultivating it with mm. one another for the rest of your lives. Mm. That, that's on, on a very basic one-on-one level. Yes. That's what marriage counseling is seeking to do. It's yes. seeking to take a time out mm. on the infatuation and yes. say, let's make sure that love is here and that love is what's being committed to not, the uh, not the infatuation or the exoticism mm. so yo i be my marriage counselor one day like i literally was like i might have to come to him we're going <laughs> we're coming <laughs> like going I, yeah yeah that's i was like cool that was a really good that was a really good intro we'll be we'll be talking when you know i'm not even close to that right now but one day lord willing but when it comes we'll see. Yeah. Listen, I, I really thoroughly enjoy this conversation. We could honestly, I feel like we just scratched the surface. We could keep going on this, but time is ticking and we don't want to we'll see the feedback. If people are all like, I hope you all eat glass and die. Then we'll just... <laughs> <laughs> people are like, Hey, I want to know more. Y'all can holler at me and we can, we can dive deeper. <laughs> oh, we got, we got to do a part two, three, four. What, what, it's a series. <laughs> it's a series y'all. It's a series. I, I currently have a goal to be, Ebenezer's most called on guest on the podcast. <laughs> I am doing pretty well, but y'all listeners tell him that I should come back. Cause we all in this together. We all in this <laughs> together. I'm, I'm for it. Yeah, no, I honestly, if nobody listening to this was blessed by it, just know I was, I took a lot. And from I was it. Same. I feel like I learned so much and oh, I was man. like, man, when I'm 38, I want to be like that. Literally. I was like, I only got eight years to get to that. <laughs> You were thinking seven, when you were 35. Seven. You were like, when I'm 35, I want to <laughs> don't, be changing, don't be changing your story now. Talking about no, now 38. I got the real facts. I got myself three more years. I got myself three more years. And Ebenezer, it's seven. You're turning 31 in like a couple weeks. Yeah, we don't need we don't need to talk about that right now. We're talking about nope. Kyle. You okay. got like two years. I'm 35, Holly. You got two years and you got four. <laughs> He's I like, like I, I will not. I am not. I'm keeping that one. <laughs> I am being perceived as 35. Whatever. I just turned 30. I just entered the 30s, y'all. And oh my God, I wish I could do that again. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I earned every one of these 30 years. <laughs> Let me tell y'all. <laughs> battle scars. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Who are you telling? I think we just, I just put my battle scars out. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we appreciate it. that's you doing that is what led to this podcast. So you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah good things and, come and that's from the that. Goal, really, truly, like I, I genuinely believe that my story is not my own, but that it's going to be used for God's glory, hopefully. And that my role is to just be willing to step into what God gives me. And I'm not trying to seek these things out. Like they just kind of, they happen. And, and so may God be glorified. Like, and ultimately Kyle, with what, everything that you just said, if you say after all of those conversations, you say, they decide, yes, we are in this. We, we are in the trenches together. This is, yeah. this is a both of us. Mm. this is a both of us fight I give my green check too like yeah. <laughs> I and I think that's where people got me got me messed mm. up like and that happens. I'm not out here trying ab- to- I have absolutely have have had situations where people are like I did not expect that this entailed all this but now that I know everything that entails I'm even more excited to mm. dive into the trenches and I'm like yes. praise King Jesus yeah. but then I've also had people be like no nah, I didn't Amen. know I was signing up for all this and they back out and it, that's a good thing yeah <laughs> just not dodge the bullet yeah. You know, it's that's also good. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, before we that, wrap and this that's up, that's what I'm saying. That's where I'm like, great. No, that's good. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't, I didn't know you're my bad for cutting you off. I just wanted to no, give was- a chance for both of you guys to wrap up. So, if you guys have any last thoughts or if, if, if there's an encouragement or a challenge or th- whatever it is, like, I just wanted to. Eat. I'll go first because I want this, I want Holly to have the last word. And so, uh, what I would what I would just simply say is if I if I haven't communicated it yet, um, is that I am 100 percent for uh, transcultural marriages. I'm 100 percent for transcultural marriage uh, between a white person and a person of color. But I think that in a transcultural marriage um, requires much more investment and much more commitment. Than mm. what the general standard or expectation of interracial marriages call for, right. which is typically a kind of form of color blindness. I believe color blind marriage actually truncates or dismisses mm. or clouds the glory of God that can be displayed uh, through a through unity and diversity. Well, I believe that a well informed, well grounded marriage between uh, white and people of color can actually demonstrate the glory of God and, and on display. And so I am for the latter because I want God to receive the greatest measure of glory. And I want people within marriages to be flourishing and free. Mm. And I'm against the former because the former is a form of bondage mm. that stifles the glory of God and b- belittles the value and worth that people have as image bearers who are deserving of love. Wow. So good. Poetic. He said, I want, he said, I want Holly to have the last word and didn't say that I was going to have to follow that up. (laughs) (laughs) You got this. I believe Um, in you. You got this. Um, Yeah. Ultimately, I think I just want to say that my heart in all of this is just the safety of all people involved. Mm. Right. I think what we had in this conversation was Kyle taking us through the macro and what I can bring is the micro. I don't have the, the, the breadth of experience that Kyle has, but I know what happens when it goes wrong. And so I am for you, whoever you are, listener, I am for you and your joy in the Lord. I am for you and your, and your growth from one degree of glory to another, as is promised to you believer in Christ. And I don't want anything to get in the way we're Mm -hmm. called in Hebrews to throw off 
mm. the sin that hinders and the, or everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Okay. And I don't want this to be part of that. We're called to run the race with perseverance. And I want that for you. I'm talking specifically to you, whoever is listening, wherever you are in life. I want that for you. And I want uh, ultimately for all of us to reach that glorious day when we're in front of the lamb who was slain, when we join the heavenly witness singing glory to the lamb who was slain, power, honor, majesty, dominion to you for you were slain when we are all there that day, that revelations picture we're talking about. I want us to reach that day and know that we lived into what we were called to do, which was, which was live as a unified people with those chasms broken down by the blood of Christ. But we have to take an honest reckoning with who we are and where we're at for that to truly happen. I also am for transcultural marriage. If you can make that work, that's amazing. Praise the Lord. Again, I believe that displays the glory of God, just as I believe monocultural marriage can display the glory of God. Um, but I don't, I'm just saying, let's be, let's be measured and, and wise and prudent and do the work. Um, because, because on the other side of this is, is truly, um, all of us getting to do all things um, in the name of Jesus Christ, to the glory of his name. And it's no less than our witness that's on the line. So I'm for your joy in the Christ. Like I said, I'm for your growth and, and your shalom, that, that true sense of, of peace that we're given in Christ. Um, the, the, the glimpses that we have of the kingdom on earth, because Christ has says that has said that the kingdom is in our midst. Now I'm for that. So let's chase that mm. and let's do it rightly and not just, um, a veneer of it. Hey man, you were acting like you weren't gonna prophesy. I knew you were gonna <laughs> bring the house down. You're trying to act like, oh, I wouldn't. That wasn't even close to what you just did. <laughs> oh no, it was good. Yes, it was, it was. good. <laughs> and this is this is why I love podcasting. This this conversation is what fuels the podcast. And so thank you guys so much for your time, your wisdom, uh, your contribution to the conversation. And I hope we can get a part two. I'm sure that people are going to enjoy this conversation. Um, But again, for those who are listening, pray that this blesses you. Let us know what you thought in the comment section. Uh, Kyle, you you tweet back. You respond to people on Twitter. I know Holly engages with people as well. So if you guys want to follow up with them, um, be sure to check them up on check them out on social media as well. And so, uh, but yeah, thank you guys for being a guest on here. Uh, Thank you guys for your profound wisdom. And uh, yeah, pray this conversation bless the listener, the audience. Until next time, family, peace and grace. This ain't clout. This isn't real life. I got a real life crisis better than it ain't no doubt. I ain't got time to debate. This country's the same. Afghanistan, Cuba, I pray.